isn't it ironic that you could you you black out at exact time when he's getting stabbed and bludgeoned? I don't have an answer for you. Multiple times like that. Dying, screaming oh for help. Oh my gosh. Just I don't you know what? I don't understand that. That doesn't sound ironic to me. It's a lot of blood that he lost. And whatever he encountered, he encountered them before you did. Before they came and knocked you out. That's why I think there was ample opportunity for you to hear something and nothing. And you're saying nothing. I mean, I don't. You could have had an army tank running in that bathroom and you'd hear that. That's what I don't understand. Could you hear him? No, I couldn't hear him. Could you hear him yelling for help? No. Could you hear him screaming? I didn't hear him. I mean, he was in pain. We know that. He suffered a lot. I need you to help me. I need you to help me. I need you to help me on this. Can you help me? I need you to help me. Sandra, can you help me? I need help, Sandra. Please help me. Screaming after screaming after screaming, he's in pain. I need help. Help me, Sandra. Help me. Tell me. Your husband's a nice guy. He went through a lot of pain. Help me. Sandra, I need help. Please help me, Sandra. Sandra, help me. Sandra, I need help. I didn't I hear help. anything. Just stop already. I need help, Sandra. I need help. Help me. That's it. That's it. I, I, I need a lawyer. I, I'm not talking anymore because you guys are just trying to torture me here. Beyond a reasonable doubt. That's what jurors are told when looking at a case. Don't decide someone is guilty unless it can be proven beyond a reasonable doubt. So how does a jury convict a woman of 27 years with no physical evidence proving she committed the crime? No witnesses, no motives. How do they know beyond a reasonable doubt that she is guilty? I'll tell you why, because the police built a case before they even started the investigation. From the moment detectives arrived at the home of Jim and Sandra Melgar, they knew who had killed Jim. And it was Sandra. You could tell by the clip of the police interrogation I played at the beginning, they applied quite, quite a bit of pressure. It's hard to listen to. But let's try to get to the bottom of it. I'm your host, Michael, and this is Strange and Unexplained. To the police, it was a simple, quote, the wife did it case. You know those cases. 
just like the husband did it, but the other way around. But it was open and shut before they even started. On the evening of December 23rd, 2012, around 4.30 p.m., Herman Melgar and his family arrived at his brother's home for what was supposed to be a family Christmas party. Even though this had been planned for a while, when Herman and his family got to the home, they found no one there. They knocked at the door numerous times with no answer. They found this odd, so Herman began to walk around the house to find signs that his brother and sister-in-law were home. When he went around the house to the garage, he found one of the doors was still up and entered the house through the garage door. He then went to the front door and let his wife and kids in, telling them, quote, let's make ourselves at home, because he believed that Jim and Sandra had just stepped out for a minute and would return soon. However, Herman's daughter, Marissa Campos, recalled telling her father, quote, this doesn't feel right. Something was off. Jim and Sandra knew they were coming, so they wouldn't have just left. Both of the Melgar's cars were in the garage, but they weren't there? Then the family heard a muffled noise, like someone talking. Then they realized it was Sandra, yelling for help. Herman ran to the master bedroom and found a chair wedged in front of the closet door. He removed it and found a dirty, scared, tired, and sore Sandra lying tied up on the closet floor. She was laying in her own feces and urine and had been there for approximately 16 hours. He attempts to untie her and her restraints are tied so tight he cannot undo them and he must grab scissors off the bathroom sink to cut her loose. Hysterical, Sandra and the others look for Jim and they find him just 30 feet away in the bedroom closet, covered in blood, naked, and dead. Jim had received over 50 stab wounds and blunt force wounds. His ankles were tied with an old phone cord, and there was a rope loosely around his chest. Jim was found laying on the closet floor just inches from his safe, and his loaded gun was also just inches away, hidden out of sight. Back in the bathroom, a white blouse was found. Also, there was a towel and what appeared to be the murder weapon, a knife from the Melgar's kitchen. They were all found in the bathtub. They looked, well, or jacuzzi, rather. They had like one of those bathtub jacuzzis, you know what I mean? Basically a garden tub with jets on it um, is what they had in their bathroom. So, the house looked as if it had been ransacked. There were drawers pulled out, stuff knocked over and missing. The Melgar's wallets uh, were even laid out on the bed with the contents spread, up, spread around all over the place. So the scene is laid, right? Um, also, I want to mention right here that there were no credit cards missing. And it did not appear that any money was missing at all from the wallets. So, let's get a little history on the Melgars before we go any further. Jim Melgar had immigrated to the U.S. from Guatemala with his family at the age of three. They settled into a home in Houston, Texas, where Sandra lived also. The two met in high school and became sweethearts quickly. They married two years after graduating, and five years later, they had their only child, Elizabeth Melgar Rose, that they called Liz. Jim worked as an IT specialist, and Sandra became a nurse. The family were also Jehovah's Witnesses which ABC News described as a, quote, Christian sect that demands and adheres to strict rules of behavior. However, 
Happily ever after is never that easy, and the family had their share of challenges to overcome, as Sandra suffered from several illnesses over the years. She had had hip replacements, lupus, hypothyroidism, and even suffered from epileptic seizures. She walked with a cane and had even been confined to a wheelchair for a while. Still, Jim appeared to be an amazing husband throughout all the struggles. Some of the family's close friends even said the two became closer through it all. When he said in sickness and in health, he meant it. So Sandra depended on Jim, much like a caretaker. And Jim would spend hours researching her illnesses and trying to find cures and treatments to help Sandra. On the night of Jim's murder, he and Sandra had been celebrating their 32nd wedding anniversary, according to Sandra. The two had eaten at their favorite Mexican restaurant. They headed home and stopped at a CVS near their home to pick up, quote, drink mixers, you know, Coke and Sprite. And she said on the drive home she noticed an odd car that was tailgating them and was fussing at Jim because he often drove slower than, um, you know, like a lot of people do. You drive a little slower when someone tailgates you, you know. It's like, especially if you're not in a hurry, it's like, Whatever, just out of, out of spite. I think a lot of people do that. That's pretty normal. Um, she says, but when the two turned into their neighborhood, they turned right and the other car turned left. And she thought nothing more of it. But they did follow them into their neighborhood. The couple then went in and started making drinks before getting into the jacuzzi together. They stayed there for about two hours, discussing Jim's, Jim's retirement, which was only five months away and how they wanted to travel more. God, that makes this story much more, so much more heartbreaking. A man that worked his whole life is five months away from retirement. Jesus. So they talked about trading in Sandra's car and getting something they could use to travel. Then their four small dogs started to bark. Not wanting to upset the neighbors, as it was between 12 and 1 a.m., Jim got out of the tub and went to lock the dogs in an office in the house. When Jim did not return after several minutes, Sandra got out of the tub and went into the closet. She slipped on a gown and robe and started applying lotion. And that's it. The next time she woke up was when she heard her brother-in-law's voice in the house the following day. The night after, Sandra was taken to the hospital to get checked out. And then she, it is put on the hospital records that she denied treatment but she did not deny treatment. She just thought that she did not need treatment. There was nothing wrong with her. She did not need hospitalization in any way. So then she was then taken to Harris County Sheriff's Office to give her statement on what had happened. So naturally, from the start, the detective started questioning her, quote, I blacked out story, asking her why she had not heard her husband be brutally beaten and killed when he was just a few feet away from her. Apparently, on the very day Sandra was found, the investigators filmed a video showing how she could have locked herself into the bathroom. There was a small rug in the closet doorway, and when the chair was placed under the door handle, you could pull the rug into the closet from the bottom of the door, and it would close the door with the chair under the handle, proving she could have locked herself in the closet. So this this is... This is fast work for the police, right? So they've already made this story. They already don't believe she blacked out. So they're not only convinced that she did it, they're already trying to prove it. 
they're already trying to prove it by sending this investigator here. And there's video, there's a YouTube video of this. And the person does. The, the, the chair is on a rug, right? So the door's cracked open. The chair, the back feet of the chair is on a small rug, like a little, like a throw rug that you would put in front of your bathroom sink or, or whatever. And the chair's leaned back against the handle of the door. And as she's shutting the door, she's pulling the rug to pull the back feet of the chair and it successfully closes. And then you, you can't get out. You actually can't get out. Um, so it is possible to have done that. And I mean, I guess that is kind of a weird place to put a rug going into your closet um, when you have carpet. I don't know why you would want a rug going into your closet, maybe into your bathroom, uh, maybe out of your room, maybe into your room, uh, but into your closet. I don't know, maybe. But so that evening, police also asked Sandra to take a polygraph test and she refused, stating she had just been traumatized and she didn't want to take the test as she was afraid that it would be used against her, which I understand that 100%. Here's part of the interrogation where they were talking to her about the polygraph test. Also note how they went the extra mile to make her uncomfortable in the room by lowering the temperature. Sandra? Yes. How you feeling? I tried to turn the air down. Uh, this building keeps us constant t- temperature, you know. Um, how did the meeting go with Mr. Cavalier? Guess okay. Did you take the polygraph? No. How come? I don't. I needed to wait because I'm just too shaky right now. And uh, they tell you you could filter that. You understand what our mission is, to try to get to the truth. I want to start, I want to start, you know, from the beginning. You, uh, you and your husband, how long have y'all been married? 32 years. Now you can see how this doesn't look good, right? Anytime anyone denies a polygraph test, a lot of people like to jump on them and be like, guilty, what have you got, what have you got to, uh, to lose, right? What have you got to lose? If you're telling the truth, just jump on there and tell the truth. And although polygraph tests have little weight in court, uh, they can still be affected by things like trauma and stress naturally. That you know, the things you experience while you're lying, trying to get away with something. So I can kind of see both sides here. I understand the police's uh, skepticism in her confession and also in not taking the polygraph test, but I also understand Sandra's point of view in being, I mean, she just lost her husband to 32 years, right? She's under a little bit of stress here, regardless of what actually happened. So she doesn't want to take this polygraph test because she knows it's not going to turn out in her favor. So Sandra will be let go that day and live free for about a year and a half until her daughter discovered that there was a warrant out for her arrest. The two contacted Sandra's attorney and they suggested that Sandra turn herself in, which she did. It took three years for Sandra's case to go to trial, when the prosecution had little to no physical evidence to prove Sandra's guilt at all. The presented theories of motive included Jim's $250,000 life insurance policy, um, but the, the kicker here is that he purchased this policy 10 years before this. 
if that was her goal, that's a hell of a long time to wait to uh, to kill off the husband for a quarter mil, right? Doesn't make much sense. They tried to paint a picture of an unhappy Sandra trying to escape her marriage by killing her husband because her religion, as being a Jehovah's Witness, uh, for, forbid the divorce. But there was no evidence of affairs or other partners. There were no financial struggles. By all accounts, Jim and Sandra appeared to be happily married. And there was no motive. The prosecution shows how Sandra could have tied herself up, right? how she locked herself in the closet and her medical records showing she had not had a seizure all year. They had found some sex toys in the Melgar's bedroom and told a story of how Sandra had lured Jim into letting her tie him up as part of a sexual game. There was a dining room chair found by the bed. Sandra claims it always sat there so their four small dogs could get up on the bed. The prosecution argued she used it to get Jim to sit while she tied him up saying she was going to give him a massage, and then she brutally attacked him. Prosecution says that Jim was first stabbed while sitting in the chair, but the evidence when examined by the crime scene investigator and blood splatter expert, expert, blood spatter expert, sorry, pointed to Jim being in or near the closet when he was first attacked, not even near the chair. She also said it appeared that Jim was in hand-to-hand combat with his attacker, brutally beating him and stabbing him over and over again. However, there was no evidence that anything was cleaned up in the room. They checked the sinks, the showers, all throughout the house, finding nothing. Jim also had many defensive wounds, and it was clear that he had fought back. However, Sandra's attorney pointed out she didn't even have as much as a broken nail. No cuts, scratches, no blood splatter, no chemical residue from attempting to clean up. Nothing. That is what the prosecution presented. But after just two days of deliberating, the jury found her guilty of murder. The foreman of the jury stating, quote, The prosecutor's testimonies, it all made sense. Now, was it absolutely provable? No. But it's the only thing that made sense. They tended to really latch on to the seizure report that was provided by the prosecution, stating how she hadn't had seizures in a while. And they thought, no seizure, then the whole story is false. During the, uh, the trial, the prosecution had acquired all the medical records and showed and just listed the dates up there and everything else of her doctor's visits, no seizure, no seizure, no seizure, getting better, you know, that kind of stuff. Sandra didn't get the chance to respond to this in court, but she later did in a prison interview. And here's what she had to say. I believe that, for, for one thing, people don't realize what, it, what a seizure is or what it feels like to go into a seizure and then when you come out of a grand mal seizure. You know, you don't remember a lot of stuff. Another question that the jury was asked was, did they consider the motive? Did they take into consideration any type of motive? And the representative said that they did not take the motive into consideration because there was no other evidence of what happened that night. And the prosecution's explanation was the only thing that made sense. However, there was other evidence that would have made sense had they investigated it. 
So let's take a look at those, right? So we got Exhibit A. Sandra had recalled, after she was first interrogated, seeing a young Latina woman in front of her while she was being tied up. Now this memory came back to her, according to her, which is entirely possible, especially if she had a seizure during that moment. She said the woman was looking at the person that was tying her up, which she could not see because they were behind her, and that the woman looked very angry. When asked why, why she did not tell the police about this before, she said that after having a seizure, sometimes she doesn't remember things, which adds up. So her explanation for not having remembered this at first or for not thinking that it was important was that she later confessed that she thought that she might have gotten this incident, the incident of her being tied up, confused with the incident in which she was being untied by her brother and sister-in-law. So that's, that's somewhat explainable, okay? You're getting bits and pieces of your memory back. Things get tied up. Our memories are very faulty anyways. So let's move on. All right. Exhibit B. There was a neighbor who was a known criminal who had just gotten out of prison a few days before the murder occurred. His name was Chad Sullivan. Witness told police that he was seen standing across the street staring at the Melgar house just a day or so after the murder. And he was, quote, acting strange. Police attempted to contact him, though. They visited his house twice, and there was no response. So they left a business card. And that was the last attempt they made to investigate this man whatsoever. Never followed up on this tip at all. Okay? So we're kind of at a standstill here. Uh, oh, also, this Chad Sullivan has a history of, of assaults and violent crime. Just so you know. All right. Exhibit C. There was a backpack full of electronics in the garage that Liz said did not belong there. It was left near the garage. Liz is their daughter, by the way. I know I haven't mentioned her in a while, but Liz is their daughter. It was left near the garage door that was found open by Jim's brother. There was also evidence in Liz's testimony that items had been taken from the house. But the police believed because there was so much left behind that it appeared to be a staging. So because they didn't take almost everything of value, they don't look into anything of value that was taken, was their thinking. Okay? I know there was a TV taken. Um, and then, like I said, the book bag that was found in the garage was full of electronics, but not their electronics. So maybe if someone else was there, maybe they took... Maybe they were on their way jumping between houses. Maybe that was stuff they took from another house. Who knows? Or maybe it was someone who was... Uh, maybe uh, Jim had some kind of knowledge or... Because he was an IT specialist, right? Maybe this person wanted his hard drives or something and was going to swap his computer monitors out with theirs. Or, <laughs> I don't know. I'm getting skeptic. Who knows? Who knows, right? All right, let's move on to some actual evidence before I f flood your brains with nonsense. All right, Exhibit D. The defense claimed there was no evidence of forced entry, but when the Melgar's family arrived, they were able to enter the house 
as the garage door entry was unlocked and the garage door was open. So, of course, there was no forced entry. No one had to force their way into the house. So, lastly, there was unknown male and female DNA found all throughout the house, including on the dresser handles and doors throughout the entire house, including the bathroom and master bedroom. Also, there was a bloody handprint found on a safe handle in the closet, but the safe wasn't opened. So quite a complex crime scene here, right? I can see both sides, absolutely. But one of the nails in the coffin for me that, I, that makes me not believe Sandra did this was the fact that she had no bruising, no blood, no nothing on her from an attack. A stabbing attack where the man fought back. Her husband fought back. He fought for his life. That attacker left with some bruises, some scratches, some blood on them. No doubt. Okay? Let's say she wore... Now, some people like to say that, you know, there was a the white blouse was found in the, in the jacuzzi. Maybe during all of this, maybe she was wearing the white blouse and threw it in the jacuzzi, but there was no blood in the water. That type of things was tested, and there was no signs of anything being cleaned in the bathroom or anything. Right? What a brain scratch. I tend to think, if my opinion matters at all, I tend to think that someone was coming by, possibly this Chad Sullivan, maybe, um, saw an opportunity, saw an open door, saw a quiet, peaceful neighborhood that doesn't expect crime because it just doesn't happen there. That's from the mouths of the neighbors and the residents there. And he saw an opportunity where someone had their guard down. And he went straight in the, straight in the garage. Um, there's been many of crimes committed that way where people, because people do tend to leave their door inside their garage unlocked. That's a normal thing. I, I have family members that do that. Um, to be honest, any places that I ever lived that had a garage, I, I would do that as well. Um, it's just, and I think it's common knowledge among criminals. And this is around Christmas. Maybe this was on the 23rd of December. Maybe this person was looking for an opportunity to snatch some Christmas gifts, right? And then ran into Jim and then had to take care of him. Um, and... You know, maybe they not, if it was two attackers, you know, some, so many people say like, how does an attacker attack your husband and you don't hear anything, you don't do anything? Well, it's not out of the question that they were both being attacked at the same time, right? Maybe they were both attacked at the same time. Maybe someone was dealing with Jim while someone else went up and, and knocked out Sandra in the closet while she's in there and tied her up in there and her panicking could have very well caused her to have a seizure. I mean, can you imagine that kind of stress? And you would wake up not remembering anything. She was in that closet for 16 hours, by the way. 16 hours. Now, is it possible to tie yourself up? Yes. Um, is it possible to tie yourself up so tight that it can't be untied and needs to be cut off with scissors? I don't know. Also, I don't know how much that argument 
how much weight that argument holds. Because when I think about if I found a family member tied up, the first thing I'm going to do is try to cut, cut them loose. I'm not even going to fuck with trying to get these knots undone, right? So I don't really know how tight they were tied and how what kind of a problem that would have been. Um, but I also know that I don't think, I don't know, but I don't think someone would lay in their own feces and urine if they were able to get up and untie themselves. Now, I know how that might look, right? If let's say she did stage everything, she has to stay tied up for the entire for the entirety until someone finds her. Okay? But if you are planning all this, why kill him 16 hours before someone's going to arrive, which you knew these people were going to arrive at this time? Why 16 hours before? It just doesn't add up and there's no, there's just no motive for Sandra to kill him. Right? Are you guys on my side? I don't know. I can't tell. I feel like I'm talking to myself here. I don't know who we can get another opinion from. Let's check in with our buddy, Lauren. Let's see what he thinks. This week's Lauren Synopsis. It's time for Lauren. It's time for Lauren Synopsis. Breaking down the case like... Breaking down the case like cardboard boxes. It's time for Lauren. It's time for Lauren Synopsis. Breaking down the case like... Breaking down the case like cardboard boxes. It's time for Lauren. It's time for Lauren Synopsis. Breaking down the case like... Breaking down the case like cardboard boxes. What's up, people? Lauren here, here to give my thoughts on this week's Strange and Unexplained, the very bizarre murder of Jim Melger, who was found stabbed many times in his own home, left to die in his closet of his master bedroom. His wife of over 30 years was found in her closet in the in the master bedroom as well. It was their anniversary, coincidentally, a few days before Christmas as well in 2012. And uh, she was found tied up in her closet, ankles and wrists bound with some sort of a sash from like a robe. The chair or the, the dining room chair from out in, the, out in the main room of the home was found wedged up against the closet door and police were able to build a case and actually get Sandy convicted based off of all circumstantial evidence. They said that she, someone would be able to pull a chair up against the door using a rug, having the rug underneath the chair and slide it up underneath the doorknob. And also someone could easily tie their own hands and ankles with something like this. And it had been over 12 hours since the murder that she was found laying in the closet. So she did have time, ample time to stage a crime scene is what they were saying. And basically they, their whole case was, as I said, circumstantial. And it was basically an elimination case. They were saying the most probable outcome or, or the most probable scenario was that Sandy killed her husband. She was the only one that could have done it. They ruled out a burglary, which to me was kind of crazy. The garage door was found open when, when uh, family members arrived for dinner that evening when the, when the couple was found, um, leading me to believe it's possible that the Melgers accidentally left the garage door open. Jim supposedly, um, on their anniversary night, they were hanging out in the hot tub together, and he had gotten up because the dogs were outside barking. He had gotten up, went outside to get the dogs. It's possible that when they got home, he left the garage door open, or when he went out to check on the dogs, he had opened the garage and forgot to close it. A uh, perfect opportunity for someone patrolling, strolling through a nice neighborhood like they lived in. That was something that was also just 
kind of silly to me was that the prosecution also said like this neighborhood is not somewhere someone would where people would rob a home. How the hell do you know when a, a home robber is going to strike, where they're going to strike? A lot of times they go to nice neighborhoods intentionally because that's where the good stuff is. So to me, ruling out burglary, especially when property of the Melgers was found all over the place. Um, there was jewelry found inside of a backpack in the garage laying on the floor. Um, and this is all stuff that was talked about and went over in the uh, 2020 uh, special done by ABC. And I have to say, after watching that, I felt as though Sandy got a raw deal, that she had been convicted and she was innocent. Now, after further digging into this, however, digging into the trial, digging into more evidence, it's clear to me that the, the police definitely zoned in on her and had tunnel vision and they ignored evidence and they, they should have done a more well-rounded investigation and not just zoned in on one person. That's just bad policing. Um, there was blood on the safe, on the knob to the safe that they didn't test. They didn't test a lot of the stuff that was laying around. There was initially they said that there was no nothing missing from the home, which kind of ruled out burglary. But then there was the family did come uh, days later and say that there was stuff missing from the home. Um, now, as as I was kind of getting to though, and I've come around to the idea that I do. I have to say, believe that the most likely outcome to me was that Sandy did uh, premeditatedly murder her husband. I've, I've, there's some, but there's a few things that I just, I find it hard to overlook the interview with her following the crime to me, didn't look good on her. And then also one of the biggest things to me that I just can't really get past it is that there was no blood found in other parts of the home. If a violent murder like this where, you know, Jim was stabbed so many times, blood is going to get everywhere. It's going to get on the perpetrator and on the way out of the home, the perpetrator was going to leave blood tracks or prints or something somewhere in the home. There was only blood found in the master bedroom where the crime occurred, essentially, where, uh, you know, like in, in the master bedroom and in the closets um, where Sandy and Jim were found was where blood was found. Um, yeah, it's, it's hard for me. That, that being said, I do have to say that I 100%, after studying the trial, and like really looking into the opening statements, the closing statements, what what the uh, prosecution went for, what the defense had, the prosecution, I, I don't think they, they presented enough of a case to say without reasonable doubt that Sandy was guilty. I, I just don't know how this jury convicted Sandy and went ahead and, and locked her up for what was there. I feel like all they did really was say, it only makes sense that she did it. Even though they, they, they didn't have any proof that they had any sort of tension in their relationship, there was nothing they could pull up. You'd think they'd be able to pull up uh, some sort of text messages where they had been in a... There was nothing like that. Like, like they're close friends and family, and everybody said that they had a great marriage. They were very happy. You'd think there would be something out there um, that would kind of point to why Sandy would do something like this. I, I, I also have to say the fact that it happened on their anniversary to me didn't look good on Sandy's part. That see, And also the fact that Jim was stabbed so many times to, to me kind of points at a crime of passion, which is usually someone very close to the, to the victim. Um, you know, if you're, if you're robbing a home and you just kind of want to eliminate the, the uh, witnesses, wouldn't you kill Sandy as well? And then also why would you stab Jim as many times as he was stabbed? Wouldn't you just, stab him, you know, a couple times until he was for sure going to die, you know. So I have to say that I, I kind of came around to the idea that if I had to guess, now obviously I'm no expert and 
it's not up to me. But if I'm having to give my opinion, I would say Sandy, I've come around to the idea that she was guilty. That being said, I wouldn't have I wouldn't have convicted her if I were on the jury from what I know right now. Obviously, I didn't see through the whole trial, so there's things I'm missing. But from what I've heard, it just doesn't seem like the prosecution had enough. They, they presented enough of a case for me to convict her. So that's my thoughts. Hope you guys enjoyed it. See you next time. All right. Very well put, as always, by our good friend, Lorne. Um, if you're not aware, Lorne and I host another podcast called True Crime Guys, and it's available wherever you listen. We've been doing that podcast for almost four years now. Um, I think we have over 100 episodes available um, wherever you listen. Spotify, Apple Music, iTunes, whatever it is, it's there. Um all right, guys, but I want to thank you guys for listening. I want to thank you that have supported the show and shown your support already in these early stages, only on episode 12. I'm very excited about what this show could evolve into and the plans that I have for it in the future. Um, but I want to give a big shout out to the new patron that I have this week. Uh, her name is Shauna Harris-Prather. Shauna, thank you so much for signing on. I appreciate that very much. Um, and you guys can do the same at patreon.com slash podcast. Or if you already have the Patreon app, you can search Strange and Unexplained. You do have to type in the whole thing. I'm very sorry. It's a long name, I know. Um, but for three bucks a month, guys, it gets you access to early releases on episodes. They'll be released on Thursday. Um, if, and if you're a True Crime Guys listener, you know that True Crime Guys episodes are released on Wednesday. So, boom, Wednesday, Thursday, you can get new uh, True Crime Guys productions back-to-back. Or, if you just want to listen on the free platforms, that's fine. You get the episodes on Monday. Um, but for 3 bucks a month, you get access to those early releases and also two other small shows that I do. I try to do, um, I try to do these shows every other week. So I have one show called The Podcast... I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, called The Palette Cleanser Podcast... Um, that show I have a lot of fun on. I create sound environments, um, talk about other topics. There's only one rule on that podcast. You won't hear any true crime, okay? It's it's a palate cleanser for true crime. Now, there is another show that I do called Strange Shorts, and those are any crime or cases or just could be funny topics, could be old topics, could be uh, new, relevant topics, but they're short, shorter episodes of crime-related things. And a lot of times the episode itself is not shorter. It's just I'll put two or three different things together in one episode. Um, and like I said, I'm going to be releasing those alternatively every week. So every other week you'll get one or the other. Or every week you'll get one or the other. You got you guys get it. Uh, but anyways, that's patreon.com slash podcast. Um, also, I want to thank anyone who has reviewed uh, reviews are a great way to help the show. It's a great way to let other people know what the show is about. Um, got a few new reviews this week. One from Donna Lynn 119. She says, "Yes, fire emojis. I'm a recent TCG listener and I love both podcasts. Keep it up. I'm strange, but no stranger." Hey, that's all I ask. That's all I ask, right? Um, and also, Crass Mac and Cheese <laughs> gave a five star review and said. One thing, the only thing I don't like about this podcast is that Apple suggests Crime Junkie as something I may like. Uh, I, I can't help that. I'm sorry. I'm sorry about that. Um, I, to be honest, I have never listened to Crime Junkie. 
Um, I know they are at the top of the charts. Um, but I'm kind of too busy doing my own thing, you know what I'm saying? But uh, yeah, that's that's great. Also, not something I'm going to do in the future, uh, but I I see it as a milestone. I got my first one-star review on this on this podcast, so pretty excited about that because um, everyone knows if you're not getting one-stars, enough people aren't listening because you're going to piss somebody off or someone's going to hate it. Like I said, if you're, if you're getting all five-star reviews, it's just friends and family. <laughs> That's just, you know, it's just like an unknown rule in podcasting. But guys, thank you so much for taking the time to listen. Just your downloads and your subscriptions help the show tremendously. Um, if you do have time, leave a review. Love to, love to hear what you guys have to say. Love to hear the feedback. Love to uh, read it on air if I can. And like I said, if, if you're financially able and can support the podcast on a monthly basis, please check out patreon.com slash podcast. It is, um, it's the wheels of this podcast. And it's also a place where I get to be creatively free, which I really appreciate that. Uh, there's a lot more, a lot more music, a lot more jokes, a lot more just being silly, but being creative on the Patreon page. That's where I put a lot of my creative energy. Uh, not only for this, for this show, Strange and Unexplained, but also for True Crime Guys. All right, guys. So that's it. Hey, give me a follow. Give me a like on social media at SNU Podcast on Instagram, Twitter, uh, Strange and Unexplained on Facebook. Hit me up. You can also follow me personally on Instagram and Twitter at and I'm Michael. So, all right, guys. That's it. I'll see you next week. Remember, be strange. Just don't be a stranger. <laughs>